Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Bars and restaurants reopen in California. News from the spirits industry, where Remy Cointreau sees sales increase by 25%. London Wine Fair to be held digitally in 2021. Amarim reveals breakthrough technologies to eradicate detectable TCA. And as ever, our Wine of the Week. And to begin with, as ever, a week in wine. And there may be a noise that you hear in the background, which is the unusual noise of California rain. It's actually quite wintry and miserable outside, but we do rejoice in the rain here, don't we, Katie? Yes, that's right, especially after a couple of weeks ago, it was unseasonably warm, and there were high winds as well, which kind of took us back to fire season uh, almost here now in January. Uh, So that was a little eerie, but now we've had nice cold temperatures, uh, properly freezing at night, and rain during the day. So all all good and seasonable things, I think. Which means we've kind of been inside and cooped up a little bit. We're not exploring California. Oh, like that's a change. We even had the heating on today. Mm. Uh, But I did um, go to South San Francisco last week to invigilate WCT exams, which was kind of boring and stressful at the same time. Extremely stressful. I didn't. I haven't seen you that anxious um, during the entire pandemic. I think. Well, it's stressful because there's so much responsibility. These students have worked really hard to study for the exams. You have to make sure that they uh, take them properly, that everything's um, done as it should be, and also I had to send the exams off to WCT centres in Connecticut and in London. So I need to make sure that they uh, were sent uh, properly as well. And then I also have to taste wines, make sure they're clean, pour them. Just make sure everything's done as it should be. And it's a day-long event with lots of different exams as well. Yeah, but one of the exams was the uh, Diploma Sparkling Wine exam, and I think students actually found it quite hard, the tasting. I think we're able to reveal what the wines are now, and uh, because it's a week since the exam, and there was uh, Prosecco, which uh, some students mistook for Asti, and I think when you tasted it blind afterwards, you thought it was a bit like Asti, it was quite sweet. But it wasn't quite sweet enough to be Asti, and it was Prosecco. And then there was a a method cap classique from South Africa, and then a vintage champagne from the original Champagne Charlie, Charles, Charles Isaac, which was absolutely fantastic. So a really nice selection. If you're going to do an exam, that's not a bad exam to be um, doing, is it? That's why I'm in the wine industry. Likewise. And now, on with the news. This week on Monday, California's lockdown was opened up to allow outdoor dining for the first time since mid-December, as well as limited indoor seating for businesses such as hairdressers. The news came as something of a surprise, as the four-week lockdown imposed in December had been extended into February, and daily positive cases are still very high. However, the news is perhaps an admission that the closure of outdoor, socially distanced dining spaces had little to no impact on the spread of COVID-19, as well as a recognition that businesses such as bars and restaurants are suffering. Although the easing of the restrictions is of course welcome, some bars, restaurants, and tasting rooms have been slow to reopen, lacking the stock and staff. 
And as we look outside today on a a very rainy day in California, which isn't always the case, it seems timing wasn't on the side of the the businesses with this reopening, because I think it will be a couple of days, at least until we have uh, some drier weather that people will be dining outdoors again. Yes, and not only that, a lot of businesses weren't ready for this news. Um, I heard a rumour on Friday that the restrictions were going to be lifted, but that was a very unofficial rumour and no idea when that was going to happen. So quite a lot of bars, uh, restaurants and taste rooms haven't reopened just simply because they haven't been able to. They weren't given enough notice. So, for example, um, I've been receiving emails and um, Facebook posts and Instagram posts. Taps Bar here in Petaluma actually opened yesterday but closed today because they felt they weren't actually ready to give their full service. Uh, Hot Monk Taverns, who own bars in Sonoma and Marin, are opening on Thursday. And then I also saw that Tablas Creek, one of our favourite wineries in Paso Robles, is going to open 2nd February, uh, their tasting room. And so, although this news has come that they can open, not a lot of them are actually ready to do so. And I just get the feeling that, not just in California, but in other areas as well, like the UK, the hospitality industry isn't really understood by people in government, exactly how they work. You don't just suddenly have beer and food ready to serve 24 hours later. Well, it is. It's one of those silent industries, almost. You know, everybody just takes it for granted, almost, the fact that you can go to a bar at the end of a workday and and get a beer or get a pint Uh, You can go and have a a lovely meal with a sommelier who has an amazing wine list and, you know, politicians and I think everyone kind of takes advantage of that and doesn't realize how much planning it takes, how much staff, how much capital and overhead, you know, these businesses have. And and yet they really are essential businesses, as you know, as we've seen during this pandemic. And and I do hope that maybe the silver lining of all of this uh, will be that there's a little bit more understanding among the general public uh, for what it takes to to be in hospitality and, and to be in the drinks business and the food business. News from the spirits industry, and very positive figures for global giant Remy Cointreau. Sales in the final three months of 2020 saw huge increases of 25% on the previous year for their overall portfolio. These sales were buoyed by a rise in the popularity of cognac, particularly in the US, and a revival in China uh, for cognac. And cognac sales rose by 33% in that quarter, while sales of Cointreau grew by 7.2%. I have to confess, some of those sales may have been boosted by our uh, margarita making. I do like a good margarita, it's true. This capped off a very difficult year for the company, and for the industry as a whole. Although overall year-round sales were down 1.6%, it's a significant recovery from the fall of 16.4% in the first six months of 2020. And the company expects a continued rebound in the first three months of 2021, although not at the rate of the figures just released. Well, that's interesting that um, you kind of compare these, that significant drop uh, in early 2020 when the pandemic first hit and no one really knew what to do, how to get their their booze, essentially, right? Because most people weren't accustomed to ordering online to e-commerce to have it delivered to their door. Most were uh, associated that with going to the grocery store or their local liquor store. Um, but to see, you know, kind of how people can be trained and 
Uh, obviously, we've seen in e-commerce stats as well, you know, all these businesses who are, have that all dialed in have had enormous success in the latter half of 2020. And no doubt that will continue even when we come out of this pandemic. Yes, but of course, uh, Remy Quantro is a very big business, one of the global giants. And like other ones, they're kind of able to withstand the storm of the pandemic. So they have all this investment and long-term planning. Smaller businesses have not benefited in the same way. And so big brands like Quantro have possibly benefited from the pandemic in the long term. As people become familiar with them, when they go to the supermarkets or they shop online, these are the big brands that come up and they'll drink them at home and then recognize them when, they, when they're allowed to uh, go outside and enjoy the drinks in bars. So maybe it's good for the big brands, but not so good for the small brands, which which have really struggled. Yeah, for the small brands, I think it really is about dialing in their uh, digital marketing, their email marketing, tapping into their their DTC customers, which you know some of them had trouble doing. That was a, a very difficult uh, sort of shift in thinking, and it does require a little bit of uh, money as well, you know, to hire a firm to help you with that sort of marketing. And I've heard many success stories, uh, but many not so successful stories. Uh, so we really do have to look out for the little guys too. So I, I know in our household, we, we always try to support the small guys, though we are guilty of having bottles of Contro in our house. It's true. It is interesting, though, just moving away from that, that cognac has risen so much in the three months leading up to a uh, Christmas and the holiday period. Um, I'm not sh- really sure why it would be cognac, um, because their whiskey brands have not risen in the same way, and their gin brands have not risen either, as it's just really been based on cognac. And I understand in China, cognac's always been a big thing, and then it kind of fell because of uh, political um, decision-making, but it seems it's like back on the rise. But in the US, I'm kind of surprised, because it's never been a huge thing in, in the US. I, I'm quite intrigued by why uh, people would start drinking cognac right now. The London Wine Fair, which was due to be held in person in May, is still going ahead, but online. The organizers have been confident that the event would go ahead with a combination of physical and virtual events, but due to the current situation in the UK, they have decided to make it completely digital. The virtual event will take place from the 17th to the 19th of May, with virtual stands for exhibitors who can offer experiences tailored to specific customers or general information, slides, and videos. Exhibitors also have the opportunity to send out samples. There will also be virtual rooms with briefings, seminars, and masterclasses, and tickets will be just £20, giving guests access to all three days' content, although guests have to be trade only. So although it's always disappointing to have to take an event online when you are banking on it to be in person, uh, which I can speak uh, personally to, it also opens up a lot of opportunities. As we can see here with uh, the ticket prices are substantially lower than they were for a London Wine Fair in person, uh, that might open it up to a, a wider audience. And then, of course, given you know people who didn't have the means to travel, uh, they'll also be able to attend these sessions. So uh, something to be said about being able to reach more people with uh, significantly less resources. Especially as... Um... The hospitality industry is so kind of in-person 
based, that means it's actually quite difficult to travel. You have to take time off work. That means a business losing a key employee who's usually talking to people and serving people, etc., etc. And so with this, you can actually just attend this event without uh, it interfering with your work if you're lucky enough to actually be working. And hopefully by May, most people in the hospitality industry will be. We'll see. And I think it just makes it does make it more interactive and more um, practical, I think. And they were going to organise this semi-virtually and semi-in-person anyway. And I think we've discussed this over the last nine to ten months. Virtual events are going to become, or, or portions of events being virtual is going to become much more common than it was before. It's going to be a future practice, I think. Well, especially for events such as these, which are so heavily based in the the trade show area, uh, it will it will depend a lot on these uh, virtual platforms and what they're able to offer organizations who are trying to put their event online. Um, because with these virtual booths, they can be very bad and they can be very good. And I've seen examples on the opposite ends of the spectrum and companies are constantly improving their offering. Of course, some can be very expensive. Uh, so I am curious to see uh, what London Wine Fair is using. Um, so I'll definitely be intrigued to check out what those virtual booths look like and how user-friendly it is because uh, that's really the name of the game when it comes to these online events. In related news, the Tax-Free World Association, which sounds like some very dodgy cartel, but it represents uh, global travel and duty-free retail. And it has stated that their annual event in Cannes, in the south of France, which sounds a very nice event to attend, uh, is going to take place in late September. They're confident that in-person events will be will be able to happen by then. So although London Wine Fair, they were confident that May would be possible, but they've changed their mind about that. The, the TFWA, they think September's feasible. Let's see. Amaram, the world's largest court company, last week launched Naturity, a new technology that the firm asserts will help bring an end to cork taint. Uh, Naturity is a treatment for natural cork stoppers that removes a range of potential taint compounds. Uh, So this is all keeping true to the promise made a few years ago by Antonio Amaram, chairman and CEO, uh, to have non-detectable TCA performance for all the cork stopper segments by the end of the year. Quote, this is our commitment to our 30,000 customers around the world to guarantee the quality and consistency of their products and ensure that consumers' preference for cork will only grow stronger. Another development announced uh, was Amarum's export technology, uh, which is developed to expand the non-detectable TCA performance for microagglomerated stoppers. So for natural corks, the TCA threshold is at or below the 0.5 nanograms per liter. And then for export, it achieves results in the microagglomerates for TCA reduction levels to 0.3 nanograms per liter in, in those stoppers. 
So this is a big step for Amaram and for uh, cork closures uh, worldwide. Um, I, I think the main wins here with these new technologies is sort of the efficiency. You know, I think a lot of uh, these different cork producers have similar technologies in place, but Amaram has really pushed the envelope when it comes to the efficiency and sustainability of these practices uh, and maybe setting a new bar for other companies to follow. Having visited Amarim in Portugal and learnt all about their cork production, I do know that they're very determined to eradicate TCA and um, make sure that their product is as clean as possible. Their one caveat when I visited was that it's dependent on wineries to be clean as well, because that's where the TCA really comes from, a lack of cleanliness in the winery. And so I wonder if these corks will kind of help counteract wineries' bad practices or whether it will still be dependent on wineries doing the right thing in their production facility. Well, I think again and again we see that, you know, progress can only be made if everyone chips in and everyone makes change. So, you know, especially in instances like these, it's going to take everyone to to make that effort uh, to make these corks and wines clean and restore faith in the consumer. Just to uh, conclude on this story, for me, it's becoming increasingly apparent that if you do detect TCA in a wine, it's not actually the cork industry that's at fault. It's probably the winery that's at fault because that's the, because of bad practices in the winery. And so they have to be very careful not to damage their reputation as other people begin to realise that too. And now, Katie, for our wine of the week, which is... Hush Heath Estate Balfour 1503 Classic Cuvée Non-Vintage from England. So we have some English fizz here, and it is bottled under cork, I've noticed. As most sparkling wine is. And the march of English sparkling wine goes on. And so this week we feature a producer called Hush Heath Estate, which is located in Kent, southeast England. The winery was established by a real estate magnate and entrepreneur called Richard Balfour Lynn. Not very romantic, I know. On a property with a manor house built in 1503. Mm, I could tell by the label that um, the person who owned this label was definitely, or definitely lived in a manor. Yes, can this story get any more English? The vineyard plantings have slowly been expanded over the last 20 years, and the winery can now accommodate 500,000 bottles production a year. And there's also a tasting room which they developed, which, in normal times at least, is leading the way in wine tourism in England, which I think is an important uh, direction for English wine to go. And Hush Heath established their name with a rosé inspired by one of our favourites, Bilkart Samon. No questioning their taste there. But their other go-to wine is the classic Cuvée, uh, named after the 1503 manor. But enough of the backstory. Katie tasted this blind. What did you think? Why am I always tasting the wines blind? We rarely talk about you tasting the wines blind. Uh, But yes, it was me that was blinded. And while I thought that it was definitely uh, of the same caliber as champagne and definitely in that ballpark, I did notice uh, a slight difference. I thought it was in, I think it was in the acidity. And with champagne, you think acidity, but this was just kind of one step above, which I think only English fizz can really reach at this point just because of climatic conditions. It was certainly incredibly fresh. It was really vibrant and just lively and just a lot of fun, but serious at the same time. It's not a throwaway wine, but it had that really vibrant acidity, 
very gentle fruitiness and um, really nice Lee's, integrated Lee's contact. And it's just a lot of fun to drink while at the same time, you know, reminiscent of champagne, but just a little bit different. And it's just another indication of the quality of English sparkling wine. Well, and what's fun about this wine is that, and this has always been sort of my issue with, with English fizz, it doesn't really offer a value alternative to champagne. Um, there are many English fizz brands out there that are pretty much comparable to champagne. Uh, but this bottle is just uh, $44 retail. Yes, which may seem expensive uh, compared to most wine, but for very high quality sparkling wine, I think this is actually a very good price and definitely compares, I think, with a 50 to $60 bottle of champagne. And so in that sense, it's pretty good value. And we can compare... Save $6. We can save $6, even maybe even 16 if we go to the higher end. And um, it is comparable to champagne. It's the three champagne blends. It's traditional method. It's non-vintage. But I think what I'm discovering is that English wine is confident that it's its own thing. You don't just compare it to champagne. You just say, this is English sparkling wine, and this is what it tastes like. Well, this is the only time I see you get really excited about the UK is when you're talking about the sparkling wine. Yeah, the only time. It's true. Cheers to that. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another Wind Up and hopefully a a very interesting week in wine since we now have the bars and restaurants open. And please take the time, rate and review us. Uh, We would really appreciate, we'd like to know what you think. And hopefully that would help other people find us so we can sort of gain a following and get more wine news out to more people. And as 2021 changes week by week, We're here to tell you what's happening. Cheerio. Mm